Good to be with you again to have the privilege, as Brother Landon prayed, just to open and to hear and to read and to study God's Word. And as we continue in Christ's prayer, His farewell prayer, His high priestly prayer, His current prayer for us. So let me pray, because we need much help today. Father, Holy Father, we thank you for truly giving us the grace and, and the privilege, and Lord, even this time to, to come together, Lord, to hear from you, to hear your word of truth, to hear your word of power, to hear its everlasting flavor and effectiveness, Lord, in our souls, and, and may it, Lord, be our delight today as we, we peer into and listen to our Savior's prayer even on on our behalf specifically for us for this day and this time and lord i pray that you would prove your word true your promise that uh, your grace your power is made sufficient it is it is shown forth mightily in the midst of our weakness so give us understanding father give us open hearts and ears to hear and 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 faith to believe you in jesus name Amen. So we've made our way through, um, I think, the first part of number three, Roman numeral three here, and Jesus beginning his specific intercession for us, which actually began in verse 11b, um, where he begins to pray for us, for the disciples that are present with him. But this prayer doesn't have a, a separation or, or a transition in time for these same promises, as we're going to see, carry forth from that very moment, that very hour where he was praying in front of these disciples for them, these truths, these promises, this prayer carries forth to us today. It is our prayer, and it is also an example for us to pray and these are promises to us. These are Christ's own promises to us. So he began that specific intercession in, in John 17, <laughs> verse 11b. Holy Father. And his request is that these disciples and us, including, including us, be kept by his power, be kept by the Father. Just as Christ and Christ Jesus has kept them for this time, his, his time on the earth and his incarnation during his ministry. That same keeping power, and it was not as though it were some kind of physical handoff, but it is the same keeping power, but it is now in the Father's care and the Father's power because Christ is going to do what? Return to the Father, Right? So in that, he is going to send the third person of the Trinity to these disciples, to us, to carry on that same keeping power in the same name of God, which if you remember, we're referring to directly to the efficacious working of God. It is the word of God, and it is, is the word that Christ has brought and given to them, revealing God, revealing these truths, revealing this redemptive plan. And he has given it to these disciples who ultimately, by the grace and the power of God through the Spirit, proclaim this gospel. And it has made its way all the way down to us this day. Praise God. Amen. So 
there would be this divine transfer. Sorry, my computer is waking up. Here we go. And Jesus also prays here, too, in this keeping power that there is found within it the protection of God. This keeping power provides not only a securing of their salvation in this life and ultimately the glorification of all true believers, right? Not just a keeping for us here and now in this life and carrying out this commission, but it's an like an unbroken chain that will keep us into eternity and into throughout eternity. So he's praying here again in, in this keeping power, in this protection, specifically in this protection from or against disunity. And and the unity, this oneness that he is asking for them to know and to share in with him in Christ, this is not some outward organizational unity. Okay, but it is a unity that will come through and is within the word through faith in Christ and all that he has given us. And it unites us by faith to Christ. Remember Colossians, we are in Christ with God, right? And so it's been both their means of salvation and it is a salvation that has actually protected them even from Judas's outcome, right? that his lostness, if you will, that is both the saving and keeping power of God's salvation. So now in Jesus saying to the Father, I come to you, and in speaking these truths, speaking this word to them, to know that this keeping power from the Father is for them, he really subdues any thoughts of loss by telling them that this is a cause for their true joy. This is where they find, and we find our lasting joy. Why is that? What, what is the fullness of the joy that he talks about being made full in themselves? How does this become a reality for us? How could they find a joy in his departure? Right? But just in what we've been talking about here, that, that his father's protection is valid, it is, it is real, it is powerful, and it is a great joy to know this in our lives in a saving power, saving way, and that his name now has been manifested even to us through Christ, that we are now united in him. This is what the great joy is for them, that for them and for us to hear the Lord praying specifically this for them and for us is to guarantee this eternal glory for us and remove any fear that they may ultimately fail and ultimately perish. Judas has already fulfilled the scriptures, right? He is proven by his unbelief to be the son of perdition. And for them now to receive this prayer directly to them confirms this guarantee of their eternal glory that what Christ is about to do in this hour of sacrifice, of being both high priest and eternal lamb slain from the foundation of the world, is secured for them salvation, eternal security in this life, and what we're going to see in the, in the dangers ahead, which Christ specifically prays for too. 
and this really shows for us, it gives it, well, it gives us a glimpse initially, but it can show for us really this divine, for lack of a better term, divine volume of the love of Christ for us. Think about Ephesians 3.18, height, breadth, depth, length, width, all of that. This is what Jesus is expressing here. And this joy Jesus is talking about isn't some random or arbitrary momentary happiness. It, it was totally based and is totally based in him and his accomplished work. Just as we prayed, there's nothing we could bring or do because we didn't even want to do to know Christ, right? We didn't want God. We were at enmity with him in our minds. And yet he set his love upon us. And in that setting his love upon us, he's opened our hearts through regeneration to see who Christ is now and made manifest to us who he is, what he has done. And now we can, in this life, experience this. This was pure joy for him to know what was set before him in doing this for us, right? For the joy set before him, he did what, according to Hebrews 12, 2? Endured the cross, bore its shame, bore the wrath and punishment in our stead. And this is what he's revealing to them in this prayer. And this hope in, his, in Christ's humanity was most assuredly founded on the very promises that his father had given him, knowing that, that it was in his humanity that he too was being empowered by the person of the Spirit, just as we must rely on the power of the Spirit in this life. He would fulfill God's will, his plans in perfect obedience, and he brought about the blessing and the gift of eternal life to us. And for with us and for them, these first disciples, these apostles soon to be, with the conclusion that we will ultimately share in that eternal glory at his maybe soon return. So we come to the second part of this prayer for his disciples in protection for the e- from the evil one. Just thinking about this, if Jesus himself was praying for us in this way, praying for our unity and oneness, how should we also fashion our prayers for ourselves and our church, especially now in light of him praying for protection from the evil one? In verses 14 to 16, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Just think for a minute how much Jesus knew the hatred of the world. Not not just, it includes, but not just him being purely righteous, purely holy, God in human flesh coming into this world and encountering and seeing the results and the activity of sin and all of his creation around him. But also the hatred because of sins that resulted in the carnal minds around him that hated God. Just, just as the world opposed him, 
so would those who, who, who bear his name because of these disciples believing and receiving and following after Jesus Christ and his words. They, like we are, are hated, were despised, were made fun of. What does Peter talk about? They make fun of you because you don't hang around with them anymore, right? You don't take part in their debauchery. Because you, you hold that standard of Christ and that life of piety, honoring him and obeying him, and because you set forth his words, they hate you. Turn over real quick to John 15. If somebody would like to read just verses 18 to 20 for me, John 15, 18 to 20. Anybody? Got it, bro? Okay. Amen. Thank you. Because Christ and his word has a sanctifying, transforming power, it's intended to set us apart unto God, right? From the world, unto his ways, into his way of thinking, and which is completely antithesis of the world in its ways, in its thinking. Even though we still have much of that thinking to shed and to mortify, but but when the word of God is at work in a person's soul, and, and outwardly expressed in their life, and, and with a pursuit, a desire of, of following the Lord, of obeying his will, of, of being pleasing to him in all manner of life. How well does this sit with the world, to your coworkers, to those around you, maybe even to your own family? It's, it's you know, the ridicule, the repulsiveness. And Jesus testifies that they respond this way because their, their works are evil. Their mind is set in enmity against God. And we need to keep this in mind and remember that, that, that suffering through times of rejection and persecution and reviling by the world for obeying Christ, for loving him, is a great reward to us. Maybe not in this life, but it will come about that we, it will lead to blessings from the Lord. We see that promise throughout the Psalms. But what about the world's offerings of, of fame and, and fortune and power and all the means of self-indulgence? How is this, how would you consider that in light of Christ's prayer here? Exactly. Taking on the the doing and the thinking of the world kind of aligns with what Revelation talks about in the mark of the beast. You adopt their thinking, yeah, I really like that power. I like having that authority and being recognized and you know, bring on the praise guys. Same thing, you know. Same thing is what the Lord's talking about, protection from the evil one here. Because who is running the world? Who is running the world systems? Who is promoting their thinking? Exactly. Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. And this is a great reminder, too, in this prayer, too, that while we are in this world, for the Father to keep us from the evil one, keep us from the power of the evil one, 
So not just a, a, a sifting as wheat to cause our faith to fail or to be like Job in suffering loss and affliction, but even so, protection from the allurements of, of being wrapped up and absorbed in the pleasures, these temporal pleasures that, you know, just as sin does, never consumed, never satisfied. It's always got to find an outlet. It, it's like, you know, Washer talks about our, our hearts are idol factories. And John's exhortation, keep yourself from idols, children. Both of these, both from the afflictions that the enemy wants to bring about, but also realize, too, <laughs> the evil one most times, if not always, operates through the hatred of the world and its ways by stirring up malice, as we, we know, many of us, through verbal abuse, persecution. But we've got to realize in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of that, those insults, and whatever they're saying against us, realize they're blind and lost to state. I mean, this is what we looked at in Philippians, how Paul wept for those who were, whose end was destruction. Not just those that were in the church bringing about false teaching, but those in the world, unless they are saved by the power of Christ, they were just like us. We are not set lofty above them, but in humility to recognize they are set for destruction too. Yeah, brother. Absolutely, bro. Amen. Amen. And those are just words. I mean, like Christ said, what was he in the midst of at that time, being nailed to a piece of wood? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, Father. You know, that, that same heart of compassion needs to be in us. So our prayer is to not let the world and its ways of thinking and doing determine our distinctives, right? And because of this, it's neither feasible or proper to seek escape from this world by either death, just get me out of here, Lord, I'm fed up, I'm tired of it, just just kill me. Protect us from that thought. Or from being a hermit isolating ourselves you know there's there's a lot of selfish comfort found to be locked in your office studying all the time (laughs) but you can't stay there every opportunity that we see around us whether it's across the fence at the grocery store the mail lady whoever it is is an opportunity to bring the light and the gospel of christ right so Jesus is, in a sense, well, he is, not directly, he will do that in a minute, but he's reminding us of our commission as light bearers here. And this is why the fa- he prays that the Father would not remove them from the world, but to keep them to fulfill his commission, even in the midst of the battleground that we're in, because we are just sojourners here. But also thinking about First John 2.13, about, you know, John talking there about men overcoming the evil one, these young men, whether it's frontal attack or deceptive allurements. Show of hands, how how often do we pray about this? 
We don't, we don't engage in that way, do we? I, I, I confess, I don't that often. I mean, I, I do remember in the Lord's Prayer at times, you know, keep me, Lord, from being led into temptation and keep us from the evil one. But to engage in that in specific areas for each one of us and for one another, for ourselves, for our families, fathers, husbands, knocking on your door. This is where we need to be on our knees because we face a very real enemy. So our approach to praying this way is also from a very sanctifying perspective, meaning that, that our love and faith in the Father through the Word, through the Spirit, through praying these realities will grow, will increase in order that we're not drawn away by the world, but while we're in the world, we are lights and we are not falling victim to the enemy's power. And this was, this was Paul's great concern in his specific prayer in Ephesians 6, right? Our prayer is to put on the armor of God, the full armor of God in all that we do so that we may be able to stand in the day of testing and in the day of conflict. So from this section of Jesus' prayer, we'll also see that the reality of Christ not being of this world is for us to understand both his preexistence and his incarnation as the God-man. His, his ontology, remember his being, um, who, he, who he is, makes worldliness for our Lord an impossibility. He had no sin in him. He had nothing in him that the enemy could to get their hooks in him. He is from above, and being also from above, he, he, it speaks very highly of his high moral nature. For the world, as we know and we've said, is, is in complete moral rebellion against God. So we, we honestly, thinking about Christ praying this for us, we do not and would not stand much of a chance if he had not prayed this prayer for us and one that we should remember and, and lay hold of and claim for our own as, we, as, as our own promise and as our own prayer. And we know, I know you know, but I'm going to say it anyway, just as a reminder, this prayer is not some magical power, right? We don't invoke some hocus-pocus foolishness, but they are the very words and requests from someone convinced of the efficacy of God's appointed means of prayer for keeping us from the evil one, from worldliness, okay? And I was thinking of Proverbs 30, just real quick, Agar's prayer, kind of in summary for this. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I, may, may I, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Contentment in this life, but warrior contentment right in the full armor of god okay any any questions any thoughts so far good all right
first thought that you know just like with the word sin that some may just think are the words <coughs> just even the idea of how confused would they be during but a way to kill that thought is just really to hate it Amen. just in your mind that's all yep. words your own Right. He who's been forgiven much loves much. Amen. Yeah, and realizing just how much we've forgiven, been forgiven. Yeah. One, one little sin destines us for hell. And if we're conceived in sin, you know. Yes, I'm sorry. Wow. Year, two years later, she goes, I saw what he had, and I wanted that. Hope. But I mean, she's yeah. just so. Wow. And you never know. Like, you don't. Those seeds are planted, and you never know. And it's all often how we respond right. to situations. And, and we're just called to be farmers, right? Mm-hmm. It's God who brings. He, he even waters. We may water, but He typically waters, and He brings forth the fruit or the harvest, right? Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay, Jesus now prays for sanctification, sanctifying these disciples, and for us too, amen. So this last section, verses 17 to 19, not the last section of the prayer, but this next section. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Wonderful prayer. Just like you were talking, Carrie Ann, um, you know, what, what Greg's sister saw in him was really the holiness of Christ. You know, that distinctive of Christ that, that she couldn't explain, that she wanted, and and today, this this isn't very popular. And even talking about, sadly, in a lot of churches, talking about sanctification is not popular. It's, every, who wants their ticket to heaven, you know? And let's go out the door and party type attitude. But for us to be set apart just as he was in his humanity, for the sake of glorifying and pleasing the Father, is it different for us? No, we, we have to embrace the importance of holiness in all manner of life in, in everything we do. When we clock in at work, when we kiss our wife in the morning as we head off to the job, as we discipline our children, as we read the Bible and all of these things. And yes, Christ has made us holy, right? In salvation, we are made holy. We have that deposit that seal of the Holy Spirit residing and living in us with the Son and with the Father, right? Think about that. 
how could we want or think about violating that holy presence within us? And we know that to be sanctified, hagiadzo in, in the Greek is, is meaning to be set apart, right? Consecrated, of course, to God, for God, for his promises. And in the context here, Jesus prays that these disciples will be set apart specifically for God's use. Ditto for us. We're, we're not secondary. Like I said, there's no transition that we do something any different because they have built upon that foundation, right? They built that foundation for us. We are that structure now in the church, post-Pentecostal church. But how else could genuine sanctification come about if we are not in the word, right? Jesus says it right here. Your word is truth. That is how we are sanctified is in truth, is in being in the Word of God. We cannot do that in our rational, natural reasonings and thinkings. And like we just talked about, we can't do it with the worldly influences challenging and conflicting with the truth of God that we bring into our minds and hearts, right? I'm not saying unplug cable TV, get rid of, you know, That's between you and the Lord as you look at yourself in his holiness and in his light. Amen? But how could we fathom to grow in holiness from our own natural reasonings or from what the world gives us? We need the pure milk. We need the meat of the word of God to teach us. 2 Timothy 3.16, right? We are in a training pattern here. We are in a preparation mode for eternity. We are being made ready to behold him in glory. We've got to embrace the training aspect, the race that we are in, the disciplining that is involved in that, forsaking our sin, bringing our thoughts captive, pursuing Christ for holiness. But as we pursue and allow the word of God to dwell in us richly, cherishing it, we will experience this glorious reshaping, this redefining, refocusing of our wills and our thoughts and our hearts toward God. This is the reality of Christ's prayer coming to fruition in our hearts and minds and souls, right? And to be sanctified to him is to be prepared for his service, for his ministry in all its various forms. Not that everybody's called to be a pastor, not everybody's called to lead the music ministry, but you minister one to another right here. As we go into the auditorium and sing songs of worship to the Lord, we minister to one another in encouragement as we look to Christ together. That's a great ministry. Everything we do, we do too. Amen. I always pick on them because that was their verse in membership that just resonated. <laughs> All we do, it brings glory and it, and it edifies, it encourages, it ministers to one another. So Jesus is not only speaking here of personal holiness. That is very important. That is, that is the nuts and bolts, right? That's where it begins, is personal holiness. But he continues on in, in his prayer to explain the purpose and the goal of the sanctification. That just as Jesus was sent, as he himself was sanctified and set apart for God's purpose and will, he has commissioned, and his mission was the cross so is ours, right? Take up your cross daily, die to yourself, and follow after me. 
And, and I love how in, in his prayer here, he's speaking of something that has already started and he sees it already in the light of its completion. That again goes back to that assurance, that, that, that joy that we have of knowing that God has done this. He has begun this. He is continuing this work. I want to be holy like he's holy. I want to stay in this. I want to keep myself where, brother? In the love of God. Yeah. So, for the true believer, will this be an optional thing? Yes? No? No. Will it be an immediately full thing? No. We're just like a plant. So many agricultural aspects are shown in the scriptures. We are like a slow-growing plant. And as we abide in the vine, as we are grafted into the vine, yes, we are pruned. Yes, we are trimmed so that more fruit comes forth, that there's more growth. We bought a Vitex tree last year and planted it. That thing's just a testimony to the work of God. His, his creation just speaks of the glory. You trim it, boom. I mean, all these flowers, these buds come out. Trim it again, boom. I mean, just right there. It's great. So, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, what? So I send you. So his final act, if you will, of sanctification is, of course, his consecration of himself to fulfill that high priestly role, that of both high priest and as the sacrificial lamb. And, and not a sacrifice for his own sins, of course not. He had none, but for the sins of his own from eternity past, all those who hoped in the promise of his coming, all those yet to be born, all those right now in the womb, the promise is there for that. And we pray for the salvation of these little ones, just as Christ did, because he has fulfilled this, this work. And, and I hope, as, as you've read this, I hope and pray as you've read this prayer that, that it doesn't seem gloomy to you in any way. Yes, I, I can imagine being with Christ all these three years and we saw how sad and, and depressed they were back in John 14 and how he had to address that. But this is, this is nothing of a gloomy prayer here, right? There is so much joy and hope filled in this, even speaking about his departure. But this prayer here is both the Lord's foundation and basis of all of his eschatological faithfulness, right? Fulfilling what all had happened already and what was about to happen. And now he sets forth all these verbal requests, which are far from gloom and despair. They're, they're hope for us. But this Lord's prayer for us entails the sanctification that commissions us into hating the world's ways and thinking loving those in the world and that's our mission is to reach those in the world with the joy that Christ had set before him this is our this is the father's will for us amen any thoughts any comments you got some i can tell
set apart you for like what you were called to do. Right. That then, as a result of what you've done, it's that we may be sanctified in truth. Right. And so there's a set apartness, and it's like a transcendent world. But I mean, if we can, if we're sanctified in Him, like He set Himself apart. Right. And he was set apart for that for our sakes, that we would then be, in a sense, sanctified, made holy in Him. Right. Exactly. So that aspect of being in the truth, that's our access then. Exactly. And that's how we are sanctified. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It it we we come together in him. Specifically too, because this the the sanctified in truth is passively. Mm-hmm. So it's what's done to us as a result of Christ done, what he's done. Yeah. Amen. Got it. <laughs> All right, next section, number four, prayer for future disciples. This is where he gets real specific for us, which is wonderful, for the coming church. And it continues on, verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me. That's that sanctification aspect there. That they may be perfected in unity. I love the rhyme there so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. As I said, this, this begins a transition here. He start, doesn't change any of his purpose, intention, meaning, but he picks up kind of back from verse 18 where he says, I've also sent them into the world. So now not in praying for the world at large, but in light of, of all the nations and peoples in the world, Jesus begins praying for another group other than the present disciples, right? He's looking forward. He remembered us. <laughs> Think about that. You were in mind right now, or well, right then, when he was praying this prayer for you. But for those who also would believe in me through their word, through the word of the apostles, through all those down through the ages who were bold in proclamation, fearless of men, that word, that same word, that same gospel truth now has been fulfilled through this prayer of Christ for you if you are in Christ. He was praying for all those yet to come from eternity past, beginning of time for 2,000 years ago up till now and to the unknown number of years to come. And to hear now before us in his prayer that all of these yet to be born again saints were on the Savior's mind and heart is incredible. But this also speaks here of a very singular, distinctive means of salvation for any and for all of us, right? Only through faith in Jesus Christ, only by grace, only through means of the gospel, which is the word of God, which is their proclamation, which was shared and preached, proclaimed, just like I said, but only through Christ. 
It's the only means, like we just said, about being sanctified. It is only as we are brought into Christ are we then sanctified in him by being one in him. But even with all of our national, ethnic, language, and even denominational differences, we can share now in this oneness, right? If it remains centered in the gospel of Christ, that's our distinctive. We don't deviate, we don't waver, we don't water down, we don't try to get past the gospel of Christ in our oneness. True believers all share in this spiritual unity, this this oneness with Christ through faith, by grace, of course. And we know of this through the fulfillment that began in Pentecost, where through the Spirit of God coming to fulfill his promised work, all of these were made positionally, one positionally in Christ that finished work and at the sending of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Christ is praying about here and what, what we can should consider and also pray for our future generations, for our neighbors, right? But these things, these prayers, these promises here, we can truly take to, take to the bank. And it's interesting what's captured here in the text in the original Greek. I'm not going to go into all the technical aspects in here, but in verse 21 where he says, that they, or so that they. It's tying all these future promises for those yet to be saved all the way back to the elements of Jesus' prayer that he prayed for his present disciples. So there's no special prayer, like I said, for the disciples, and then a separate prayer of different promises, different means, different oneness that there's no separation between the grace they received and the oneness that they knew from ours. We share in that same grace, that same oneness, not a separate unity, not a separate blessing, but from 11 beyond are ours as well. And he continues in verses 22 to 23 of of this theme of unity and how this unity is, is... is red, and I want to hit this before we stop because this is crucial. What does Jesus mean by the glory that the Father has given Jesus here? He's given to these disciples. What does it mean for him to give it to his disciples? Well, first, we need to see that the glory that Christ received as mediator is a glory that can be given and is revealed to the church, right? He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He is our Savior. And it's in this way that we share in the oneness of purpose, right, and privilege that exists between the Father and the Son of the Godhead. All right? We, we don't share in the, the, the triune God's essence of the Godhead, right? But we share in purpose. And we also receive glory from God through the Son in the eternal life that he alone provides us by grace through faith. Okay, there's a glory in that. A glory which we know will culminate when? When we see him, right? So the glory of salvation is now by faith, where we do not see him physically, we do not see the full manifestation of his glory, but that glory will culminate at his return when we were sharing that glory. We also see Jesus giving his glory to them and to us as we hear him praying that he be sanctified and set apart again for God's purpose. 
in the cross and for us that we too be ultimately sanctified and set apart to him that comes through the cross work to us. You see how everything connects? So we share in this glory that he says, you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Therein is our unity in the sanctification as we share in the glory of the mediation, mediatorial work of Christ, the salvific work of Christ, and to be set apart for Christ. We're his. He owns us. That's a glory. (laughs) Right? So there's also a relational aspect. I'm sorry, one, one last glory aspect too. It is also in our mission. There's a glory in the mission and the commission that Christ received the same holds true for us. So as I said, there's a relational aspect here that Jesus is praying about that we do not share in, and that's the unity of the divine essence known as the, the intra-Trinitarian Godhead. We don't share in that essence. We, we will likely behold the glory of that essence when we are in eternity, but we are not sharing in the, in the midst of that essence. However, the Father communicates very well spiritual life to Christ as the God-man through the means of the Holy Spirit and according to his humanity. We're going to see this in the sermon today too, Lord willing. That same Spirit is the one who communicates this life from the Father to Christ then to us. Right? He was fully man, fully God. So... He, all he did was in the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. So it's in this pattern of the Trinitarian relationship that forms for us a pattern of unity of true believers in the church. And just real quick, I want to look, look at these. I'll give these to you. There is a unity in motive. We are all, just like Christ, committed to the glory of God. There is a unity in We are united in mission to redeem lost sinners, to proclaim the gospel. We are united in truth. We are bound by the words and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are, what we just talked about, united in holiness to share and and pursue this absolute separation from sin to be holy. We seek sinless perfection that will come in glory, right? We are united in love, and we see this in the next verses, which this is great timing. Verse 24, but Jesus talks much, and we read about the Father's declaration of the love for the Son, and it is our love for one another that is our greatest apologetic to a lost world, is it not? How such a diverse group from all kind of backgrounds, doesn't matter what it is from, to showing this this living and true love to one another. It's baffling. It's when a sister goes, I want what he's got, you know. So the outcome of this unity is that the world will see the evidence of the truth and power of God, that they will believe that the Father has definitely sent the Son into the world to save them from their sins. And this is what Christ is praying for us to understand and to see and live in this Christ-centered unity that, that he's brought about through his death on the cross. Amen?
appreciate all his attention. I'm saving intentionally the last three verses as a, a introduction to Gethsemane. So, two weeks, Lord willing, we'll pick it up. So, thank you for your time and attention. Appreciate it.